A minister went to a third grade Bible class to impress upon them the dangers of alcohol. He brought with him a bottle of whiskey and he held it up before the children and said, do you know what this is? This is whiskey. Now let me show you something. He took the top off and put a worm inside the bottle. Well, after a few seconds, it twitched rather violently and then it curled up into a little ball and floated to the bottom where it died. And the minister said to the children, now what can we learn from this powerful object lesson? And one little boy raised his hand and said, well, I guess if you drink whiskey, you won't get worms. (laughs) I don't think that was the point. But it does seem that some in the church failed to grasp the gravity of sin. And John says this is one of the sure indicators of bogus Christianity. If you're our guest, we are studying the book of 1 John this spring. We're in the third chapter. Be opening your Bible there. It's page 605 on that Bible in your pew. And what John is doing is writing to a church that has been unsettled because some people have left recently. They claim they have superior spirituality. And John says, don't worry about that. They may have been in the church, but they never really were in Christ. They were bogus Christians. And so in this letter, he keeps giving indicators of how to tell a real Christian from a fake one. And one of the clearest indicators, John says, is that a real Christian is going to join Jesus in his mission to search and destroy. Now read with me and I think you will begin to understand what I mean. We're in chapter 3 and we're starting in verse 4. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Now, dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin. Because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God. Nor is anyone who does not love his brother. Now keep your Bibles open because we're going to Look at several verses again in this text. But isn't it interesting that one of the first things John wants you to know about Jesus is this. That our deliverer was first a destroyer. Last time we saw that the Bible tells the story of God's plan 
to live in eternal fellowship with his created children. But early on in that story, we read that Satan tried to derail the plan by deceiving that first couple into severing that fellowship with God. And so the tension is raised, what is God going to do? Is he just going to abandon his plan? And the answer comes early. God says, no, I am sending a deliverer. He's not just going to abandon his creation. He's going to renew everything. He's going to bring about a new heavens and a new earth. He's going to reconcile fellowship with his children. But he's going to have to send a deliverer. He says to the tempter, you're going to strike his heel. But he is going to crush your head. Because my deliverer is going to be your destroyer. And so he doesn't abandon the plan, but he announces his intention to launch a counter-offensive. And D-Day was Bethlehem. Now, you notice that twice John used the word appeared. Sometimes, like in our last text, he can mean the second coming of Jesus. But in this text, he's talking about the birth of Christ. Look in your Bibles again at verse 5. He says, you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And then look at the end of verse 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. He appeared to take away sin. He appeared to destroy the devil's work. And so at Christmas, you see, we are celebrating the arrival of Jesus to destroy something. Sin. The angel announcing the birth of Jesus to Joseph said in Matthew 1 and 21... She'll give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. John, the baptizer, announces the coming of Jesus in the first chapter of the fourth gospel. Verse 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What was Jesus' mission? It was to search And to destroy that which was breaking fellowship between God and his created children. Now this is why the gospels do not portray Jesus as trying to run and hide from the devil. They portray Jesus as trying to pursue the devil. Remember at his temptation the spirit led him into the wilderness to face the devil. Remember when he's on a boat crossing the sea and they get to the other side and they're about to land and they they hear a sound and it's a demon-possessed man running around a cemetery naked, cutting himself with stones. I think I would say, let's take the boat somewhere else to land, please. Jesus said, no, let me off right here. He never ran away from a challenge from the devil because he came to destroy his work. And it wasn't just You see, to destroy the penalty of sin, it was to destroy the very practice of sin. Look at verse 5 from the message. It reads, surely you know that Christ showed up in order to get rid of sin. There is no sin in him, and sin is not part of his program. Yet John's church 
is being tempted by these spiritually elite leavers to view sin with indifference. They're over here saying, oh, we're so enlightened and we're so spiritual. It doesn't really matter what you do with your body just as long as you have great thoughts about God in your head. And John says, do not let anyone lead you astray into thinking you can be right with God while you're doing what God said is wrong. How can a real Christian enjoy what God sent Jesus to destroy? I think John would say the only good sin is a dead one. Maybe you remember the story of the deacon who used to always pray before the church, Lord, just clean out all the cobwebs in our lives. Lord, just clean out all those cobwebs. Finally, one member couldn't take it anymore. He was up there praying, Lord, just clean out all the cobwebs. And the member stood up and said, Lord, just kill the spider. That's what John says the mission is. To destroy. Not to tolerate. To destroy the devil's work. And what John reveals is this brilliant maneuver. Of God to do so. It took two moves. And the first move required Jesus' birth. Maybe you saw last February in the paper the amazing story about Heather McNamara. This six-year-old girl from New York was discovered to have what doctors called an inoperable tumor. That was enmeshed inside the internal organs of her abdomen. Her parents refused to give up hope, but doctor after doctor said, there is nothing we can do. The surgery will kill her. Finally, they found a surgeon at New York Presbyterian Children's Hospital named uh, Dr. Tomiyaki Kato. And he and his team took that little girl and put her on the table. And for 23 hours, they did a surgery that has never been tried on a child before. They took her stomach, her spleen, her liver, her pancreas, her large and small intestines out of her body so they could get to the tumor and then took those organs that hadn't been damaged by the cancer and put them back in her body. And five weeks later, that little girl left the hospital. Now, this was God's dilemma. That mankind is infected with the cancer of sin. And all of the angels of heaven are asking the same question. How can he get to the tumor? The prophets wandered it. How can God, who is totally holy, who is pure light, how can he get to the cancer? And the answer showed up in a manger. God became a man. That was the first step. Jesus had to appear as a man. In Hebrews chapter 10, we read the words of Jesus before Bethlehem. Christ came into the world and he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. And by that will, we've been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Only as a man could Jesus take my place. 
But he could only take my place if he was a sinless man. That's why John said there in verse 5, he appeared so that he might take away sin and in him was no sin. You couldn't take my place because the law had claims against you. And the law had claims against me. And so Jesus had to appear and completely satisfy the demands of the law in himself so that he could take our place and satisfy the demands of the law against us. That's what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you understand now why several times then in 1 John, John says, don't let anybody tell you Jesus didn't come in the flesh. Anyone that denies that Jesus came as a man is the spirit of anti-Christ. You give up the incarnation of Jesus, you give up God's way to reach the cancer. The first step to the destruction of sin was the appearance of the God-man. Look at Hebrews 2. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, Jesus also became flesh and blood by being born in human form. For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. And only in this way could he deliver those who had lived all their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. What he had to do, folks, was destroy the devil's best weapon. To destroy the work of the devil, he had to destroy the weapon Satan had to tyrannize us all. Colossians chapter 2 says, He canceled the record that contained the charges against us. He took it and destroyed it by nailing it to Christ's cross. And in this way, God disarmed the evil rulers and authorities. And He shamed them publicly by His victory over them on the cross of Christ. See, we believe the war's already been decided. Now, it's still being fought, but it's already been decided at the cross of Christ who's going to win the war, but the mission goes on. And that's where you and I come in. Because you heard me say this brilliant maneuver of God to get to the sin and destroy it took two moves. And the first was the birth of Jesus, but the second move requires my rebirth. Because Jesus' death on the cross does not change the fact that sin is still natural to the flesh. And that's why the Bible says men do not need to turn over a new leaf. They need to get a new life. That's why one night when that Pharisee named Nicodemus came to Jesus, Jesus said, unless you're born again, you can't even enter. The kingdom of God. That was John Wesley's favorite text. He went all over Britain preaching, you must be born again. You must be born again. And one time someone came and said, Wesley, why do you always preach you must be born again? And Wesley said, because you must be born again. You must be born again. God's maneuver has two moves. The incarnation of Jesus and the regeneration of every person that will put saving faith in him. Because unregenerate man cannot say no to the devil. But a new creation can. 
And so all over then the first century world, the Christians would go and say, be born again. You don't need a new leaf. You need a new life. And they would baptize people into the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Because in the first century, the question of whether or not you should get baptized was never even pondered. Baptism was God's way of saying to unregenerate man, you don't need to modify your flesh. You need to crucify it. And you need a new life. Romans chapter 6. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death. And we were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. You've heard me say it over and over, folks. We preach too much a truncated gospel. The gospel is not just that you can be forgiven of your sins. The gospel is that through now the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, you can live a changed life. The Bible says, Titus 3, 5, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we'd done, but because of His mercy. And He saved us, watch this, through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Listen, external pressure can't defeat sin. External pressure can't destroy the devil's work. If it could, we would have passed enough laws now and we would have built enough schools by now to fix the world. But external pressure pressure can't defeat sin only internal power can do that you have a heart that in the flesh just can't say no to the devil and so God says I'm going to have to give you a new heart a new heart that will say to righteousness I can I will and I want to this is the promise of the prophet Ezekiel In chapter 36, I'll give you a new heart with new and right desires and I'll put a new spirit in you and I'll take out your stony heart of sin and I'll give you a new obedient heart and I'll put my spirit in you so that you will obey my laws and do whatever I command. So now the pull of the flesh is offset by the tug of the spirit. This is what Paul is referring to in Galatians chapter 5 when he says, I advise you to live according to your, watch this, new life. Not fixed up old life. Live according to your new life in the Holy Spirit. And then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The old sinful nature loves to do evil. Which is just opposite from what the Holy Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite from what the sinful nature desires. See, John says this is the difference between a real and a bogus Christian. It's like you have a sheep and a pig, and they both fall into a a mud pit. You're going to get two different reactions. One beast is going to love the slime and want to stay there, and one beast is going to get out of the mud and the dirt and the filth as quick as it can. And the reaction is going to depend on the nature of the two beasts. And so John says, no one who's born of God will continue to sin. 
Because God's seed remains in him and he can't go on sinning because he's been born of God. He's got a new nature. That same verse, verse 9 from the message says, It's not in the nature of the God begotten to practice and parade sin. When God comes in, holiness is going to come out. Now, that doesn't mean we're never going to sin. No, we're still clay and we're still being molded. But when a real believer falls into sin, he's got one goal. Search and destroy. And so let me give you a couple of challenges. One is this. If you're going to embrace your new nature and life in the Spirit, then as a believer, you're going to surrender the right to govern to God. What does John mean? Sin is lawlessness. He's not just meaning you break certain rules. It's not just an act. It's an attitude. Lawlessness is rebellion against God's right to govern His creatures. Sin, in its essence, is rejection of the authority of God. That's what happened back in the garden. Man threw off God's right to tell his creatures how to live. This is what Jesus has come to destroy in you. You see, for so long, we lived... As Lord of our own kingdoms. And Jesus showed up. And let me show you what his single most popular sermon was. And he preached it everywhere he went. And it was a very short sermon. Mark 1, 15. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent. And believe the good news. For so long. The only kingdom at hand was my will be done. And I'll tell you why it's hell on earth. Because there's six billion of us all living in the kingdom of my will be done. And so you can have nothing but war and fight and murder and divorce. As long as six billion kingdoms are out there fighting for sovereignty. And Jesus comes along and says, I've got some good news. I am going to enable you to leave the kingdom of my will be done. And come into the kingdom of His will be done. And Jesus said, this is good news. But you're going to have to repent. In other words, you're going to have to surrender daily. That's what He means by taking up your cross. I heard about one man that taught at a Christian college. I love this. He had a white flag he kept under his bed. And when he woke up every day, the first thing he'd do was reach under that bed and pull up that white flag and wave it over himself to remind himself, God, you are in charge today. That's what real Christians do. And I know there's a lot of you that believe that, so I want you all to stand up right now. We're going to surrender control to God. Hold up your right hand. You don't have to do this if you don't want to be a real Christian. <laughs> Repeat after me, please. I hereby resign, I hereby resign. My, right to the throne. my right to the throne 
a right that was never really mine in the first place. Okay, before you sit down, turn to your neighbor and say, I no longer think I should run the universe. Do that, please. Okay, have a seat, please. I'm a little concerned because I saw a few married people turn to each other and say, I no longer believe you should run the universe. That's, we're going to have to work on this. Jesus said, if you want the good news of living in the reign of God, you're going to have to surrender every day this matter of sovereignty. Because a real Christian's first rule is to seek God's rule first. And then, a real Christian, a true believer, considers any area where holiness is stunted. Again, understand, we're not talking here about perfection. John uses the word Sin in the present tense in the Greek language. He's talking about continuous action. And that's why in the NIV it translates, no one born of God continues to sin. We're not saying that we're never going to make a mistake. We're saying that a real Christian will not just continue habitually in an area of his life where his holiness has been stunted. Do we make mistakes? Of course, First John 1 says, anyone who claims he never sins is a liar. We all make mistakes. But a bogus Christian will be fully aware of one area of his life that is not surrendered to God and will just settle for it. And John says a real Christian could never do that. A real Christian finds a part of his life that's not fully surrendered to God. He's got one mission. Search and destroy. Sin might be an abnormal moment of defeat. But it will never be accepted as a normal way of life. To do otherwise would be to make A mockery of the mission of Christ. And so Paul says in Romans 6, he died once to defeat sin. And now he lives for the glory of God. So you should consider yourselves dead to sin. And able to live for the glory of God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Real Christians do not claim to be sinless. But they do claim the power of the Spirit of God to sin less. They remember that the enemy has been disarmed. And they refuse to be deceived into staying in a prison that Jesus has opened. You might remember the story about Harry Houdini, the famous magician and escapologist. He claimed he could get out of any prison cell. His only requirement was that you not watch what he does and you let him wear street clothes. 
This little village in the British Isles had built a new prison. They said it was escape-proof, and they accepted the challenge. Houdini showed up. He walked into the cell. They closed the door and left him alone. He reached into his clothes and pulled out some of his tools, and he went to work on that lock. Fifteen minutes, thirty minutes, he could not get it to tumble. After one hour, no sound. An hour and a half. Finally, after two hours, he put his tools up, gave up in frustration, leaned against the door, and it flew open. (laughs) You see, the people of the town had tricked the master. They had never locked the door in the first place. When Jesus Christ destroyed death, he opened up the prison. The only power the enemy has over you now is to deceive you and to make you believe you can't leave the slavery he has deceived you into being in. Because Jesus Christ has blown the door wide open. And so, loved ones, it is time for us to stop making excuses and start making progress in looking and living more like Jesus. It is time for some of us to search and destroy. I'd like you to bow your heads, please. I want you to do a little business with God now. I want you to ask the Spirit of God to show you any part of your life where you have settled for stunted holiness. Maybe you've just gotten used to having a a loose tongue or a bad temper. Maybe you have refused to forgive. Or maybe you've just decided you're always going to be lustful. Or that you have a critical spirit. You're always quick to tell anybody or any church what's wrong. It's time to stop making excuses. Start making progress. It's time to search and in the power of the Spirit of God destroy that illegitimate authority in your life. Take a moment. And ask God to show you that one part of your life where he wants you to make progress. Let's all pray this prayer together.
be that you want to uh, continue this prayer with uh, one of our church leaders. The Bible says that one way to be healed of sin is to confess it and to receive prayer. So our leaders are going to be back at the chapel to wait for you. You can go while we sing this next song. And I have to believe in a crowd this size that are some here today that need to take that step of baptism. A step that the Bible doesn't even question. It just assumes anyone that wants to follow Jesus will be baptized. You need to come and do that today if you haven't. I'll be down front to receive you. We're going to sing a song and give sovereignty to God. Let's stand up, please.